From the Georgia Southern Sports Network, powered by Learfield, this is Inside Eagle Nation, the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics. Strike three called, it is well with my soul at J.I. Clement Stadium. Your all-access look into Eagle Athletics is Inside Eagle Nation. Doogie with one, a three, and a win it! Got it! Game over! to the Learfield Studios. Here are your hosts, Colin Lacey and Danny Reed. Coming off an off week for Georgia Southern football, 16 days in between games, but once again it is game week in Statesboro as Georgia Southern gets set to face off against the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers in Statesboro on Saturday, 3 o'clock to kickoff between Georgia Southern and Coastal Carolina. Paulson, Colin Lacey alongside the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed, on another edition of Inside Eagle Nation. As always, Inside Eagle Nation is presented by our good friends at Arcola Septic. Arcola Septic is your premier septic services provider to Bullock, Bryan, and adjoining counties, and a great family-owned business that's run by a pair of Georgia Southern alumni. Make sure to give them a call at 912 912- 318-7939 or visit them online at arcolaseptic.com. For both commercial and residential customers, their more than 10 years of experience can help you out with pumping and servicing your septic system, drain field repairs, new system installation, and all of your septic needs. Remember to follow them on Facebook, Arcola Septic, yesterday's Meals on Wheels. A lot of yesterdays between Georgia Southern's last football game <laughs> and the next one for the Eagles as they, again, 16 days between Georgia Southern knocking off South Alabama in double overtime, 20-17. to 17. We dove into that one last week. But now you get ready for the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina coming in on Military Appreciation Day. It's only two more days, but for whatever reason, 16 <laughs> days seems like another year. And I don't know why that is, but... Fortunately, Georgia Southern's been able to get some extra practice time, maybe implement some things, expand the offensive playbook, firm some things up on defense. But as Coach Lunsford told us after the game on Thursday, the 3rd, and then on Monday at the press conference, you love going into the bye week with a victory. Yeah, it was a tight victory. But the best they could have done going into that contest was get to 2-3, and three, and that's exactly what they did. It's kind of the opposite of what... Coach Lunsford had talked about the week prior coming off the loss to Louisiana. He said it's good to have a short week whenever you're coming off a loss because it's quicker that you are able to get the taste out of your mouth, and that's what George Southern was able to do. The odd thing to me is that the Eagles played two games in six days, which Mm -hmm. we've done that before. We do that almost every year with App State. Those two games are the only two games that the Eagles play in a stretch of 35 days. Holy cow. I didn't think about that, but yeah. Just the way the bye weeks felt. Right. Because you get your two byes this year, but you get the one in between Louisiana and Minnesota. The following Thursday, you're at South Al. 16 days in between, you got Coastal coming here on the 19th. It just sounds odd, but. Now it's time to buckle up because you've got seven straight to finish out the regular season. And one of those is going to be a Halloween Thursday in Boone, but the fact is seven straight weeks with a game, whether it's a Thursday or a Saturday, we're going to get to it in our final segment. But for this game Saturday, each of these teams, I don't think they need to worry about getting it for a Sunbelt Conference championship. That's going to be tough for the way App's been playing, especially in the East Division. They need to get it simply to stay within contention for a bowl. Because either Coastal's going to fall to 3-4, and 0-3 in the league, or Georgia Southern's going to be 2-4, and 
with homecoming the next week against New Mexico State in non-conference, but still, you need to find a way to cobble together six victories to get back to postseason play. Starting to get into the busy part of the season for Georgia Southern Athletics as a lot of teams in action. We start with Georgia Southern men's golf. Finished up the Fighting Irish Classic in South Bend last week. Took 13th out of 14 teams up in South Bend. They'll be off for a couple of weeks. The next time they'll be in action is November 1st through the 3rd as they just get to go to this little place called Nassau, Bahamas. Face off at the Ocean Club at Atlantis. The White Sandy Intercollegiate. Well, the hope is that Carter Collins talked with men's basketball coach Mark Byington about what the Bahamas were like, and they can be travel buddies and share some secrets and all that jazz. Yeah, Georgia Southern men's basketball just went down there and scouted it out a couple years ago. Georgia Southern women's golf is at the Jupiter Invitational, hosted by FAU. Finish that up today if you're listening to this on time on Tuesday. Was down in Jupiter on Monday and Tuesday, again finishing up today. We will recap all of that for you next week. Georgia Southern women's tennis hosted the Georgia Southern Fall Shootout at the Wallace Tennis Center out in front of Hanner Fieldhouse. Won three singles and one doubles match. One of those singles victory was Elizabeth Goins in the singles bracket, winning the overall singles bracket for Georgia Southern women's tennis. Georgia Southern women's rifle went 1-2 and two this past weekend in Charleston as they took on UAB and the Citadel. Men's soccer went 1-0-1 oh on the week improving to 6-5-1 and one overall. Started off the week against South Carolina, their final non-conference game before they opened up Sunbelt Conference play. Tied the Gamecocks up in Columbia and then headed up to Atlanta to take on Georgia State in the conference opener. Won that match by a 2-1 score as the match was tied 1-1 within the last minute of the game. Ownsgear Christensen for Georgia Southern men's soccer put one in the back of the net with 29 seconds left talking with josh moffitt before the women's soccer game on sunday he's like i was messing with murph saying that oh you were just playing with him letting him get a goal late and then thinking it was just going to be a tie and then here comes christensen to put it in the back of the net rematch of last year's conference championship which was won by state in statesboro also gives the Eagles one point in the rivalry series, and I believe they picked up a little bit more last weekend as well. Yeah, we'll get to that. We're getting there. Georgia Southern men's soccer on Friday will continue the Sunbelt slate. 7 o'clock kickoff against Central Arkansas over at Eagle Field in Irk Park. But as you mentioned, Georgia Southern not finished with Georgia State quite yet. As Georgia Southern women's soccer improves to 5-7-1 and one overall, they did fall to South Alabama 3-0 on Friday. Friday and then on Sunday against Georgia State got the victory two to nothing but a cool story coming out of Georgia Southern women's soccer in that game head coach Josh Moffitt making a change in goal for Georgia Southern women's soccer talking to coach Moffitt before the game he said that they're going to go with the sophomore Sally Newton had never played a minute of collegiate soccer last year didn't see a minute had not seen anything so far on the season but she was going to get the start at home against georgia state that's a good story in and of itself getting your first career action against your rival sure but oh by the way sally newton comes from the line of zetter hours you know the road that's the family that discovered statesboro that's pretty good stuff so you get your first career collegiate action against your rival in the town that your family helped found I think you just may have given us an Inside Eagle Nation exclusive. You better believe it. I, I don't think there's any other way around it. No, I don't think so. That's why you got a list every week. You find out little nuggets like that. We Usually we reserve those all for Roger, but every now and then we break <laughs> some things too. That could turn into an Eagle Tales, though, if, you, if we get too deep into this. 
I think it should. I think it'd be great. Georgia Southern women's soccer will be at home this coming weekend as well. Friday against Arkansas State at 5 o'clock, and then 1 o'clock the kickoff on Sunday against the ULM Warhawks. Georgia Southern Cross Country was at the Florida State Invitational down in Tallahassee this past weekend. Took 10th place overall as Marab Nagwandala, another great showing for Georgia Southern Cross Country, finished 9th overall out of 228 runners and posted a Georgia Southern career best time in the race. And a seems like every week we joke that it was the Carter Collins segment. It's about to become the Marab Nagwandala segment. The best thing about that is that we now know how to say her name. Yeah, we're getting good at it. We've gotten very, very good at that. And the more that she does, the better we're going to get at it. We're going to have that thing <laughs> lock stock by the time we get to Nationals. By the time we get it fully down, it'll be time for her to graduate. But nonetheless, <laughs> she'll come back. She'll get in the Hall of Fame. We'll do the induction. <laughs> we still don't say your name. That, that's good. We talked about her at the end of last year yeah. in the conference tournament, setting the school record in the 5,000 meters. This is, this is old hat for her. Georgia Southern Cross Country will be back in action on Saturday in Bluffton as they will meet up with USC Buford coming up on Saturday. The Sand Sharks. They are. How about that? Georgia Southern Swimming and Diving will be at North Florida down in Jacksonville on Saturday starting it off at 1 o'clock. Georgia Southern Softball got the fall schedule started this past weekend against Georgia Military College and Georgia Highlands. Talking with head coach Kim Dean earlier on in the week said that they got pretty much everybody in the game got a lot of pitchers a lot of action and was really excited about what they saw this past weekend in statesboro you'll get another chance this weekend to see georgia southern softball on friday they will take on east georgia at five o'clock saturday against coastal georgia at 11 o'clock in the morning and then a doubleheader on sunday once again it's those sand sharks from usc buford doubleheader beginning at one o'clock for georgia southern softball Georgia Southern Baseball started off their fall schedule against the College of Charleston up in Mount Pleasant. Now, with the fall schedule, it's not just a nine-inning game. You start, you play nine innings, you're done. They did 16 innings worth of baseball. So the first nine-inning quote-unquote game, Georgia Southern got the victory 4-1. to one. And then the offensive explosion coming in the Second game, which was seven innings in length, a 10-3 victory for Georgia Southern Baseball. A couple of highlights for the Eagles is Jason Swan, a two-run home run in that second game. Noah Ledford, also a home run on Saturday at CFC. And J.P. Tighe, two for four on the ball game with a pair of RBIs as well. That's a CFC team that we're going to talk plenty about once the spring gets here. They're going to be a lot different. They still won 36 games a year ago. Georgia Southern, outside of losing Tyler Martin offensively, has just about everybody else back. There's going to be some changes in that starting rotation on the weekends this coming spring. That's early, but that's a really nice doubleheader sweep. Yeah, That's a really nice one to look at. Eagles will have one more matchup in the fall as they will take on Gordon State coming up on Friday the 25th of October over at J.I. Clements Stadium. Georgia Southern Volleyball this past weekend was in Texas. Started off against UT Arlington on Friday, fell 3-0, and then fell 3-0 against Texas State in San Marcos on Saturday. This coming week on Thursday, Georgia Southern Volleyball will take on ULM at 6.30, Friday 6.30 against Louisiana, but that Thursday game, Georgia Southern Volleyball against ULM, 6.30 starts volleyball. Hopefully Georgia Southern Volleyball able to take care of the Warhawks. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, you've got Eagle Madness inside Hander Fieldhouse to introduce Eagle Nation and everybody around town to Georgia Southern basketball as well. 
meet the men's team, meet the women's teams. There's going to be inflatables, autograph session. The three-point contest is always a nice thing to watch. A year ago, I want to say that Alexis Brown went crazy and made about 100 in a row. David Vitti is on record as saying that he is winning the three-point contest <laughs> this year. He's more than psyched up to get it rolling. Both teams are going to be exciting in their very own different ways. For the men, you know, it's moving on from Tukey Brown and Monte Glenn, but just about everybody else that contributed is back for 2019. For the women's squad, of course, it's a new staff with Anita Howard taking over after four years under Kip Drown. Just about everybody is back for the women outside of a couple of transfers, but you would think that this would be the year that Amira Atwater, Haley Dias Allen, Nicole Franks, they take a large step forward to get them back to the top half of the league. Women's basketball actually announced their non-conference schedule earlier on Monday and a lot of travel for Georgia Southern women's basketball. They'll start it off on November the 10th up at Furman, take on the Paladins. Then the only two home games in non-conference play will come November 17th and November the 20th. The 17th it'll be the Owls of Kennesaw State heading down I-75 and I-16 inside Hanner Fieldhouse. And then North Dakota, a team you don't really hear about a whole heck of a lot down in this neck of the woods, but a matchup with North Dakota on the 20th of November. And then Georgia Southern will head out on a little bit of a road stretch as eight straight away from home so georgia southern will not be at home the entire month of december from november the 20th until january the 2nd when sunbelt conference play starts with ulm but that's not all part of the same trip like it no. was for the men a couple of years ago no thank okay, goodness because that was nuts but at least you're going to get a chance to break some of those up so you go to bethune cookman to winthrop to wofford a new arena up at wofford started was it last year, I believe? Yeah, you're going to enjoy up. that. Yeah. Then at Mercer on December the 7th. And then a little bit of a lengthy trip for Georgia Southern women's basketball. On December the 16th, they will head down to Oxford to face off against Ole Miss. They will go straight from Ole Miss to Las Vegas, where they're playing in the 2019 Las Vegas Holiday Hoops Classic. On the 19th of December, they'll play Kent State. And then St. Francis Brooklyn coming up on the 20th is when Georgia Southern women's basketball will have their long trip. And then a sneaky good non-conference game that I'm kind of excited for, December the 30th, Georgia Southern women's basketball at Tulane. You always see a lot of these non-conference games either be a quote-unquote conference below you, a quote-unquote power five opponent. You don't see very many like opponents in non-conference play a lot of times. I think this two-lane game could be a pretty good test for Georgia Southern women's basketball right before conference play. And you're going to get a chance to check off Devlin Fieldhouse as a historic venue to call a game from. Women's basketball actually has done a little bit inside Devlin Fieldhouse. A couple of years ago when they were down at the conference tournament, one of the practices was at Devlin Fieldhouse. Got to see a couple of former Eagles swing by Devlin Fieldhouse to say hello. Got to see Kyle Spear, strength and conditioning coach now at Tulane, a couple of other familiar faces down there, but then it's time for Sunbelt Conference play for Georgia Southern women's basketball. So a lot of action the past week for Eagle Athletics. So in that roundup, we were able to bring up 14 of our 15 sponsored sports. Yes. Men's tennis, we apologize. Men's tennis, we'll get to you next week. <laughs> Sander, you're doing a heck of a job. We will get to you next week. <laughs> Somebody else that we've got to get to on this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation is Roger Enman with some Eagle Tales. Time now for Eagle Tales with Danny Reed and Roger Inman. 
Roger, i got to admit, it's been pretty fascinating listening to all your stories over the last year or so. But to sit and think about some of the really important people in the history of this program and just how it all came together when it did in the very early stages is a pretty awesome thing. Back in the prehistoric days of Georgia Southern football. Matter of fact, this past week, I gave Chad a little picture of uh, B.L. Crooksmith and the last of the Blue Tide football team prior to stopping football here at Georgia Southern, which uh, hopefully he'll keep uh, somewhere around his office on display. Coming a little bit more to the more recent prehistory of current Georgia Southern football, Dr. Dale Lick, the president here at Georgia Southern, one of the guys who would not take no for an answer when it comes to starting football back here at Georgia Southern, hired a young man then named Bucky Wagner be our athletic director and the two of them pretty much did the main implementation to start football here at Georgia Southern. Bucky had the role of going out in the community and raising money which uh, back then was not a lot because a lot of the community didn't have a lot of give. They made a road trip down to Hinesville to see a guy named Senator Glenn Bright help contribute the money. Right now Senator Bright's name is on the field. Made a little road trip over to Savannah talked to Alan E. Paulson, MC Anderson, all the guys that helped get us started with the football as it was in the early 80s at Georgia Southern University. Bucky was one of the unique guys. I swear he thinks I was a thief since I was his equipment manager, business manager. He thought the double doors I had at the equipment room, he didn't think it was for handling out equipment. He thought I was selling stuff over the counter and he always curious why I had a cash register behind the counter. But I had to keep up with cash flow on a daily basis. Dr. Lick, after he got everything going great here, left Georgia Southern went to University of Maine. He was a black bear for a short period of time and then left Maine and went to uh, Florida State where he was a Seminole till he retired from being a president at schools. It had been unique to have got Dr. Lick back uh, when we hosted Maine since he was a black bear for a short period of time, but he'll still tell you that his most preference of his tenure as a president was here at Georgia Southern in the early 80s starting football and then hiring Bucky to be our athletic director. Back then, Dr. Lick wanted an athletic director who was going to take football and run with it, and my current boss at that time was a guy named George Cook, who was an extremely good athletic director and friend, but Coach Cook did not want to start football here. He did not think he would go, and he was not willing to start it. So in that day, Dr. Lick said, Coach Cook, that's not a problem. You're now the head golf coach. I will hire me an AD who will start football, and we hired Bucky, and Bucky took the ball and ran with it. That is after we bought the ball. We did have to go across street to buy the ball before we could run with it. Once we bought the ball, a group of them got in the car and went together, went up to a little town called Athens. Talked to a guy named Erskine Russell. Erskine took the job, and the rest was history. Thanks, Roger. Now let's go to Colin Lacey with this week's Beyond the Bio. Time now for Beyond the Bio with Colin Lacey. Welcome into another edition of Beyond the Bio here on Inside Eagle Nation, your official podcast for Georgia Southern Athletics as we step into the Georgia Southern women's basketball staff and first-year assistant coach Chris Straker. And coach, take us through what it was like making the transition with Coach Howard from Columbus State to now at Georgia Southern? Wow, great question. First of all, I want to shout out women's soccer, men's soccer, Josh Muffet, and of course, John Murphy. Great weekend for our soccer teams beating Georgia State. So great job to those guys. Back to your question. It's been a big transition, but really just 
grateful and honored to be a part of Coach Howard's staff. Obviously, uh, best interview I ever had. I got a year to interview for the job with her at Columbus State. Coming in, obviously, a lot of different things that we have to take account for, but basically being able to implement the new culture, that's been step one, and making sure that we have Coach Howard's culture and her championship values in place. That's been the biggest priority. We're going to go through the next couple of weeks talking to everybody on the staff and introducing them to Eagle Nation a little bit more, but we've heard it on social media a lot. What does that new culture look like for Coach Howard in the U.S.? So, basically, she has two things, Coach Howard, that really are the most important thing. One, be honest. Two, give your best effort always. And that's that's step one of the, the culture, right? If we can get that down, we're going to go a long way to, just off that. So, really showing the players what it looks like to give championship effort every day on a daily basis in everything that we do. So, that be academics, that be on the practice floor, that's in the weights room with our conditioning, all of that good stuff, and, and making sure that we have that. And then the next part becomes understanding what it is to have a standard of excellence and making sure that when we're in our pre-practice warm-ups, that now we want to hear voices, we want to hear people talking and communicating because that's going to prepare us then to have a great practice. So it's all of those good things. Now, you're a native of Manchester, England. You spent a lot of time over in England coaching. What was the transition like going from England into the United States? There was a lot of differences, and for me, I was kind of lucky. I had the opportunity to kind of sit back and, and learn a lot. You know, I got given my opportunity by Beth Burns at San Diego State, and she was an incredible coach. And so we have a whole different system in Europe whereby a kid can come into a club program age 12 and stay in that program up until the age of 18, 20, 22, depending on whether they come out here or not. So the way things are taught is a little bit different because you're in a system for so much longer. And so that's a little bit different. And then we probably play less games at a younger age with our youth level teams and focus more time on practice. So I think that that's a big difference for kids growing up, that they perhaps learn the game differently. Of course, out here, the athleticism level is much different. We've got much greater athletes out here. And then competition level is obviously a lot higher. Take us through what kind of made you transition from over in England to coming to the United States at San Diego State. Yeah, so for me, it's always been about I wanted that challenge, I wanted that next challenge. I wanted to see how good I could be and could I do it at the highest level. I had a great experience as a head coach and assistant coach in, in the UK. And then for me, I just felt I wanted a, a bigger challenge, see if I could do it where I'd been watching college basketball for years and years and years. Let me see if I can go and do it out there at that level. That was always the dream for me since I was, I was really young. I was never good enough to do it as a player and so the natural next step then is to see if you can do it as a coach when did you decide coaching and basketball was something that you wanted to do for the rest of your life that was kind of dictated to me by my talent level. <laughs> uh, I was about uh, 16, and I was playing in a basketball academy, and the guys that I played with on that team were really, really good. One guy in particular, Ben Eves, went to play at UConn for Coach Calhoun, and, and you know those guys were much better than I would ever be. But I was able to talk with them about X's and O's and stuff and give them a little bit of friendly advice. And so when I was about 16, 17, I realized I was never going to play at the highest level. But maybe this coaching thing is going to work out. And, and so I started my coaching badges really young, 16 and 17, uh, and really enjoyed it and found, well, here's an opportunity to help people that were much more talented than me and go on and be as good as they could be and what they wanted to do. And so that's really what sparked the, the love of coaching for me. Now, you've done a lot of traveling throughout your life, throughout your career, whether it be here in the United States or abroad. Where do you kind of get that love for travel the love for being on the go i do love traveling and really what i love is experiencing different cultures learning about 
people who are different from myself uh, and trying to understand that and, uh, and I think the more that we can do to understand people who don't look like us and be able to come together and unite I think that that's awesome and so for me it's always just been an adventure and just an opportunity to learn and grow as a person and connect with different people and that's really what I love most about about traveling. You mentioned you got kind of a year-long interview to be on Coach Howard's staff. You were the GA for her over at Columbus State. You've seen a lot more of Coach Howard basketball than Eagle Nation has. What should people expect for this year for Georgia Southern women's basketball? Expect a lot of fun and expect to see a team that works hard. It's going to be an entertaining brand of basketball. It's going to be fast-paced and what you're really going to see, Coach Howard hangs her hat on defense. So you're going to see a team that comes out there and tries to stop the other team and really works hard on the defensive end of the floor. And then on the offensive side of things, it'll be quick, it'll be up-tempo and it'll be entertaining. You're going to get your money's worth if you come and watch the Eagles play. Finally, before we let you go, this segment's called Beyond the Bio. Give us something that seeing you around Hannerfield House, seeing you around campus, people may not know something beyond your bio. So what you might not know about me is that I was actually born in Nairobi, Kenya, and lived there till I was about three years old, and then grew up, obviously, in Manchester, England. Coach, appreciate your time. Appreciate everything that you've already done for Georgia Southern Athletics, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me. Once again, that is one of the new Georgia Southern women's basketball assistant coaches and Chris Straker. Coming over with Anita Howard from her days at Columbus State was the GA for Coach Howard last year. But we now dive into Georgia Southern football as they face off against the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina. But before we do that, mind you that Inside Eagle Nation is brought to you by your good friends at Knox Pest Control. Been servicing Eagle Nation in Alabama, Florida, and Georgia for generations. With decades of experience, no one knows pests and termites like Knox Pest Control. Visit them online at knoxpestcontrol.com to find service near you. Knox knocks them out. Terry has often said that that Knox Pest Control spot that plays during Georgia Southern football is the best commercial that we've ever aired on the network. It just so happens that every commercial that Terry has voiced, whenever it comes on, he's like, man, that's a great spot, isn't it? See, we think we're just talking about punters, but he's oh, it's actually the commercial. Okay, okay. He's either back or lagging or bass or something. Oh, he's actually talking about what's what's playing during the breaks. Before we dive into the X's and O's for Georgia Southern against Coastal Carolina, one news coming out earlier on this week as Drew Wilson named the 2019 Mayo Clinic Comeback Player of the Year Award nominee. So Wilson named one of three nominees for the Mayo Clinic Comeback Player of the Year Award a little bit later on in the year. They will officially announce the Comeback Player of the Year, but a good story in Drew Wilson that we've covered on this podcast of Inside Eagle Nation missed all of last year due to injury and really didn't know if he was going to be able to play football ever again comes back and now he's a big part of this offensive line we also brought up how he had to work with physicians he had to work with trainers he had to do a lot of things to make sure he would get medically cleared they couldn't find a whole lot of information regarding his condition because in terms of athletes there weren't that many documented cases one detached retina let alone four which he had to have surgery for but he was able to come back. He's been even more valuable having to step in as the starting right tackle with Brian Miller, of course, being out for the year with an injury of his own. Good news is that whoever wins this, there's going to be a sum of money that gets donated to the school's general scholarship fund for Drew. It's unreal to see him back on the field. I still think the segment that he and the offensive line did on a past edition of Inside Georgia Southern Football at Eagle Creek Brewing Company was one of the tops we've ever done. <laughs> he may have the brought the house line. Brought the house down. He may have the all-time best line line from inside Georgia Southern football. Talking about Lords Edwards, 
being the guy that may eat the most of the offensive lineman, I asked him why. He just turned around, and as matter of fact as you could say, I look at him. <laughs> Eagles will take on a Coastal Carolina. Sean Clear's team comes in 3-3, three and 0-2 three, oh in Sunbelt Conference play after falling to Georgia State this past weekend, 31-21. to And this is a Coastal team that is still trying to feel their way through a lot of changes over the last three years you had jamie chadwell taking over as the interim head coach for joe moglia who had to step away because of a medical leave of absence in 2017 that was chadwell's first year as the offensive coordinator at coastal carolina last year joe moglia comes back at the helm jamie chadwell is not demoted but sent back to offensive coordinator doing the job that he was hired to do exactly and now Jamie Chadwell is the full-time head coach at Coastal Carolina. Joe Mowgli is still the guru of football or whatever his official title is. Chairman of Athletics, Executive Director of Football is how they put it. Wow. That's how they do it. I don't know that that fits on a business card. Grant, I don't know that Joe Mowgli needs a business card. Or a business iPad or a business billboard or something along. He's got a business iPad, and you have to scroll to figure out the rest of the title. That's pretty good. For Georgia Southern, going up against this Coastal Carolina China Clears team, comes in averaging about 420 yards of total offense and a pretty good split, 206 of that on the ground, 217 through the air. And I think the biggest part of that split is aided by how much they get their running backs in on the passing game. You look at their top A-back that they call it for Coastal Carolina and C.J. Marable. He's a guy that has 508 yards of rushing offense on the year with five scores, but also three receiving touchdowns and over 200 yards. Yeah, the rushing statistic is fifth in the league that you brought up, but the 18 catches, that's second in the conference amongst running backs in terms of receptions behind only South Alabama's Trey Minner. He was going to be a big part of the offense this year, and we knew that going in because it's supposedly a gun option scheme, even though Coastal has a little bit more flexibility to pass out of it. They also play two quarterbacks. This is something that Chadwell has done for years, going back to his days as Charleston Southern, even before that when he was at Delta State. Fred Payton is the starter, Georgia boy from Swanee, first three years at Peachtree Ridge before spending his final year at Parkview. He can run and throw, dual threat. Guy behind him, Bryce Carpenter, Sarasota, and Venice High, who was teammates with Matt LaRoche, and also Coastal wide receiver Javon Hiley was on that Venice High team as well. He's dual threat, too. And coming out of camp, this was a very close competition, but Peyton having started four games a year ago and Carpenter was in and out of the lineup due to a number of injuries, Peyton got the nod. The plan was to play them both. And I want to look at the last two games specifically. App State, Coastal scored 37 points. They had 66 offensive plays. Peyton took every snap, and that's not what Chadwell was planning on doing going into the game, but Peyton was doing so well that he just couldn't see an opportunity to get Carpenter in without mixing up the flow of the offense. He threw for 240 yards. He had two passing touchdowns. He also ran for two scores. That was a 21-21 game in the second quarter before App opened things up a little bit. Last week, Peyton struggles loses a fumble on the first play of Coastal's second drive, doesn't take a single snap in the fourth quarter. Carpenter outplayed him. I'm not saying there's a quarterback controversy, but I would be shocked if both of them did not play quite a bit on Saturday because they both can play, just a matter of how they're going to divvy up the snaps. The thing that's really been the Achilles heel for Fred Payton over really the last two years at Coastal Carolina has been 
he's shown what he can do on the good side, but he's also shown what he can do on the downside. This year, six touchdowns, six interceptions. For his career, 12 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. It's ball security, and it's not just the fact that sometimes he might be trying to fit it into a tight window or maybe make a pass that shouldn't be thrown. We saw a year ago up in Conway, Coastal led that game towards the end of the second quarter before the Eagles totally dominated the second half as part of a 41-17 win. He just has trouble handling the football. I'm not going to say he's careless with it, but the Eagles knocked it away from him a couple of times. There was a strip sack fumble. Raymond Johnson had one of his five career fumble recoveries up in Conway last year, and ironically, he was one of our guests at the last edition of Inside Georgia Southern Football this past Monday at Eagle Creek Brewing Company. Made sense. South Carolina boy playing against a team from the Grand Strand, as we've called it during our various trips in the three sports that we get a chance to call. When Peyton's on, he's really good. When he's off, he's really off. I would highly anticipate that Carpenter not only plays, but the way that he went last week by getting Coastal back into that game against Georgia State, I wouldn't be surprised if Carpenter outsnapped him. That hasn't yeah. happened this year, but I wouldn't be shocked if Carpenter got more snaps. For some of the weapons that they look to spread the ball around to, we talked about C.J. Marable, their leading A-back, as they call it. Jaquez Hairston, a guy from Virginia, 147 yards of rushing offense, three touchdowns on the season. But on the receiving side of it, you spread around to a couple of different guys, but really the guy that is the threat, especially to score, you talked about him a little bit earlier, Javon Hiley, the guy from Venice, Florida that you mentioned. But he's the only quote-unquote wide receiver with multiple touchdowns on the year. There's a reason for that. Number one, there's not a whole lot of depth. Yeah, Jeremiah Miller has played. Yeah, Tequil Holmes has played. Yeah, Larry Collins has played. There's not a whole lot of depth there. And you could look at a lot of different position groups. That's been a problem for Coastal ever since making the jump. They don't have depth at a lot of positions. They only have 75 available scholarships. Chadwell thinks they eventually will get to 85, hopefully by 2020. That's one reason. Number two, their top offensive weapon, Kion Tyler, missed four games due to a high ankle sprain. If he's available, I'm not saying that Hiley isn't a primary target, but Tyler's their best receiver. And the more that he gets healthy, the more that he's going to be involved. He also returns kicks, so they try to get him involved in various ways along with Marable. They're both going to be very, very important as Coastal tries to break a six-game losing streak in conference play. On the defensive side, it's listed that Coastal Carolina runs a quote-unquote multiple defense. I think everybody will say that now. But mainly you're looking at three down linemen and a guy that really, really you have to focus on if you're Georgia Southern and Teron Jackson. Four and a half sacks on the year, five tackles for loss, but on a career, 22 and a half tackles for loss. He was even more important last week because Sterling Johnson, the Clemson transfer, the defensive tackle, he did not play. He missed that game due to a bruised tailbone that was actually suffered before their bye week against Appalachian State. His availability is not known for Saturday. He is still listed as the number one guy on their depth chart, but I really like Teron Jackson up front. I agree with you. You take away Jeffrey Gunter, who was a first-team all-league defensive end last year. He transfers to North Carolina State. So those two back give them some strength up front. C.J. Brewer's a solid player. He's from Bowden, Georgia. That's West Georgia. So we're able to get an idea about them up front. And it's a good thing they've got guys back up there because the back seven littered with a lot of names that you don't know or that didn't play a whole lot. Think about Teddy Gallagher, the linebacker. He didn't get his time last year until late in the season when there were injuries. 
He had double-digit tackles in that game against the Eagles. He recovered one of the five fumbles that Georgia Southern had last year. He had 14 tackles last week in the loss to Georgia State. LaQuavius Paul has had to step in to play linebacker with Silas Kelly out due to a number of injuries. Kelly was the lead tackler in 2018. And then in the secondary, they've got three new starters. Mallory Claiborne is the returner, is one of the cornerbacks. But Chandler Christ is a new cornerback. He's done well. He has three picks. He had two of them in their victory in the upset over Kansas. Alex Spillum, one of the safeties, he had an interception a week ago against Georgia State. And then Cameron Burton out of Belton Honey of Path in the upstate of South Carolina steps in as the other safety. So, yeah, they've got their mix of experience and inexperience, but it seems that they don't quite have a grasp on this yet. It's their third D coordinator in three years. They're switching from a four to a three. It seems like we've talked about that almost every <laughs> week. The good thing is, is that Jamie Chadwell has his guys as D coordinator. Chad Staggs has been with him just about every step of the way. North Greenville, Delta State, Charleston Southern, they have won everywhere they've been together. He got his guys just a matter of when it clicks for him, you would think. I always love whenever we're starting to get everything ready for the Coastal Carolina game and putting in Cameron Burton into our boards just for the sake of getting to put Belton Honey a path. That's where my mom's family's from. Everybody says, like, where's your family from? And if I were to say my mom's family was from Belton Honey a path, about half the people would look at me like I got three heads. Well, they're going to think there's some kind of mispronunciation or right. you, you, you're trying to fly through it or, wait, that's not a real place. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you're, that's not real. It is. Trust me. Huh? It is. Been there many times. But I think that's the most improved area for this Coastal Carolina Shauna Clears team. Last year, you looked at the secondary and it wasn't the worst in the Sunbelt Conference, but it by far wasn't the best. And now I think they've taken a big step. You talked about Chris with three interceptions on the year. You've got Spillum with one, Burton with one as well, including Claiborne. So everybody in the back four that you have talked about has an interception and is really doing a lot better than you saw a year ago. What was troubling for that secondary last year, they had star power. Fitz Watley, yeah. Anthony Chesley, those dudes were good. Those, those were two of the better DBs in the conference, but they had other guys. They lost Preston Carey in the back half of the season. Jave Brown transferred out. So while they had a lot of good players, they either lost them due to transfer due to a number of reasons or, like is the case with Coastal since they've come to the league, they can't stay healthy. Teddy Gallagher means a lot to this defense, especially with Silas Kelly being out again. He broke his hand and hurt his knee against Kansas. They don't know if he's going to be able to play this year. I highly doubt he would be available for Georgia Southern this Saturday. They can play, but it seems that they need to be able to break this down 60 minutes at a time. They can't look too far ahead to say, okay, we've got to win our next three games to get to bowl eligibility. You think back what happened to them last year, they were 5-3. and three. They needed one win to be bowl eligible. They had Georgia Southern, Arc State, and App all at home in a row. Yeah, Lost all three of them. Then they go to South Alabama, which only won three games last year, and one of the South Alabama's wins was over Coastal. So they finished five and seven. Joe Moglia says, I'm done. I'm retiring. Coach Chadwell was always the coach in waiting. He had been groomed that way, and you kind of thought it was coming when he stepped in as the interim two years before. I still think that once he gets it right, that's going to be a force with what they have to recruit to. Stadium has just expanded again, second set of renovations. They've got the second deck, very similar to Paulson Stadium. They've got surf turf. I mean, if that doesn't get you there, what's what's going to get you there? Right. But for the moment, Coastal is still trying to feel its way through. 
not just to be a competitor in the East. They would like to be able to get bowl eligible. They're going to host a bowl starting next year. So feasibly, they get six wins. They'd be able to play there because it's one of the three conferences that have tie-ins with the Myrtle Beach Bowl starting in 2020. But this is all part of the journey they're going through, what Georgia Southern went through in 14 and 15. Granted, the levels of success have been varied. But when you make this foray, jumping up from a level where you had a lot of success to one where you need to figure out how to have success, these are the kinds of things you're going to go through. Coastal Carolina and Georgia Southern had a little bit of a history before Coastal joined the league. The last two times that Georgia Southern and Coastal have faced off as conference mates, Georgia Southern got the victory in Brooks Stadium. Georgia Southern all-time 4-1 and one against Coastal, but the last four meetings of the five-game series, the last four have been in Conway at Brooks Stadium. Coastal Carolina hasn't been to Statesboro, hasn't been to Paulson Stadium since 2006. Lots changed here since 2006, and they're going to get to see Power Paulson. Well, that was one of the happier days in 2006 for a year that didn't see a whole lot of them, but they're going to see a, an expanded stadium. They're going to see a second deck. They're going to see the FOC. They're going to see turf. Going to see a new Glenn Bryant field sign. They're going to see all kinds of new things at Paulson Stadium since it was – it's hard to believe it's been 13 years. Yeah. We played them twice since they joined the league. Went up there in 17, went up there in 18. Nice of them to make the trip down 301 and 95, right? Holy cow. You had not been here in 13 years? Come on now. You owe us one. Okay, they're here in just about every other sport. But in terms of a football fan base that hasn't seen Georgia Southern in an FBS realm, they've seen it in an FCS realm. Of course, and the Eagles went up there a couple times. They went up at Brooks Stadium in 2007, where Jason Foster still gives them nightmares after that six-touchdown <laughs> performance. But it will be very nice for them to see how the other side operates. They need a road victory if they want to get bowl eligible. Remember, for Georgia Southern, the previous Thursday, had to find a way to get a road win at some point if you were going to get to six. Now, if Coastal's going to get to six, they might want to figure out a way to pick off somebody on the road. Now, that being said, and... You look back at everybody that was with Coastal Carolina back in 2006, there's not a whole lot of carryover from the people that were coming down as Chanticleers from Conway to Statesboro in 2006, but there is at least one. Joe Cashin. Joe Cashin. <laughs> he was he was doing sidelines that day, that's right. Joe Cashin, the voice of the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, was doing sidelines for now AD Matt Hogue, who was the radio voice at the time, but... I love, we've talked about Joe Cashin a lot, how last year when Coastal Carolina was playing Campbell, the game got moved because of Hurricane Florence. He couldn't call the game because he was called into duty by the Army National Guard. Just a great all-around guy, and he may have one of the better memories of people that I know. We talk about your memory a lot. I would love to see you and Joe Cashin go off in a memory contest. All right, with respect to him... When somebody scores six touchdowns against your team, you're probably going to remember it, especially when that individual was Jason Foster because he won the Peyton that year. They're going to remember that. Oh, no doubt. But he remembers talking with him the different times that we've been able to hang out with Joe, whether it be basketball, baseball, what have you. He remembers different things about Paulson Stadium from back in 2006. Also his only trip. Yeah. Even though it's been 13 years. Yeah, it's been 13 years. You would think you wouldn't remember a whole lot about... I don't remember where I was 13 years ago. 
Do you? All right, two, all right here all we go. Okay. This may be the contest all right, right here. Or no, you start. Where were you in 2006? Oh, good lord. Um, where were you? Six or 25 <laughs> minus 13. All right, you're, let's just say you're 12. Yeah, I was. You're, 12. you're born in '94, right? Yes. Okay. I was 12 years old, so that would have been what sixth grade, maybe. Yeah, sixth seventh grade. Yeah, sixth seventh middle grade. middle school. Yeah, so I was at Freedom Middle School up in. Canton, just off Bell's Ferry. Okay. Proud patriot. That's all I got. Military appreciation we did. Perfect. Hey, six degrees. There it is. All right, 2006 would have been my start of my senior year in college at Waynesburg. It was still Waynesburg College then. It's Waynesburg University now. Southwestern Pennsylvania, about an hour south of Pittsburgh. Would have been my final season playing football. And this would have been the middle of our season. We started 0-3 that year. We... we, I, yeah, I know. I, we lost to Wesley out of Delaware. We lost to we lost to Wooster from Ohio. Then we lost a game to Shenandoah. We were up ten nothing at halftime. They came back and beat us twenty to ten. That oh. was that was not a good day at Waitsburg. There, oh. It's only a town of about fifteen hundred people, so that was not a very good day. We lost to Shenandoah. We won six of our last seven, though. We thought we were going to get a chance to go to an ECAC bowl game. That only went to a couple of squads in Division Three. Didn't get the didn't get the nod so after we finished up that last game against Westminster I mean we'd won but we we had found out that we weren't going to a bowl game so we had one final meeting in the locker room and then that was that was it haven't you told me a story of playing your last year and you scored a touchdown yeah my the first beyond the bye you did with me yeah last game yeah all right the Westminster game I'll, I'll tell it again real quick the last game against Westminster the field was an absolute mess that's when football was still played on grass it was a muddy game <laughs> it rained the night before absolutely awful we had a 7-7 tie early fourth quarter nobody could move the ball nobody get any kind of traction we have a fourth and goal inside the 10 our running back gets a first down gets stopped at the two-yard line I had a couple of chances from the goal line earlier that year, didn't score. So I got one carry, scored, but they said I was down. And I about got a personal foul for arguing. <laughs> so I had to go back to the hot office. Not, look, I was like, dude, I've been stopped six times here. You can't keep doing this. Didn't think I was, I gave next play. Didn't think I was going to get it, and they called. I can still remember the play call. Pro right Zach, 52 orange. That was the play call. That was our I four. Okay, that was our I formation, pro right. Zach was a Z wide receiver motion across the formation. Fifty two was a fullback belly play. Orange mean it went to the right. I'm not so much pro right. I remember the call. Pro right Zach fifty two orange. I got the handoff. Almost fumbled it. I took the ball and our quarterback into the end zone. I'm not so much impressed and shocked and you're probably worried, befuddled about <laughs> that. You remember what it was? I don't remember what I had for breakfast today. What's breakfast? <laughs> I don't even remember if I had breakfast today, and it's the most important meal of the day. Or, but that—that's a—that was a huge moment. That was my only college touchdown. So yeah, I'm going to remember that. Wow. It, it's big moments. I mean, you, you can't pick up a random day. You can't say, "All right, what happened on November the second, 2006? I don't know. It was that you can't just. I, pick I guarantee, you, if you gave you enough time, you'd be able to. Okay, that it game out. was November the 11th because I remember it was Veterans Day, Military Appreciation Day. Oh, Tie it in again. There you go. Oh, that wasn't planned. Oh boy. But drove drove back home. <laughs> Thankfully, there were showers. We got a chance to clean up. Otherwise, there would have been a lot of mud on that bus. <laughs> and we stopped at a restaurant. We stopped at an Italian restaurant on the way back home. And I'm thinking, okay, if we're not all clean. They're not going to be happy with us by the time we get to eat. <laughs> that was a real. That was a fun day, though. 
Oh, tangent over. Georgia Southern and Coastal <laughs> Thank Carolina. Y'all. Thank y'all for listening to that. <laughs> Three o'clock to kick off on Military Appreciation Day. Expect to have a big crowd at Allen E. Paulson Stadium on Saturday against the Shauna Clears. One news note that we do need to cover it came out in the press conference earlier on this week. We've talked about Jacob Cooper being out the starting center for Georgia Southern football. Coach Lunsford announced at the press conference on Monday that Jacob Cooper has been medically disqualified, and you hate to hear it for that guy. He will stay on as a student assistant, so helping out Coach Hudson and the offensive line as much as he can, but he will see his football career come to an end here at Georgia Southern, and you hate to hear it for a guy like Jacob Cooper, who you can just tell how much that means to him and how much he's put into this program. All right, we brought up Drew Wilson for being on that segment at Inside Georgia Southern Football a few weeks ago. Jacob Cooper was the other offensive lineman on that segment. You hate when something you'd love to do gets taken from you. Yeah, this was going to be it for him. It was his final year, and we have brought up before how he didn't play in the bowl game because of a concussion. He also had a concussion during camp, and then he suffered his third in less than a year, and I think just got to a point where for his well-being it just wasn't the best move to keep playing football but you you hate to you hate to think that he's not going to be able to do it again and for a college athlete especially at this level where some of these guys may get a chance to play in the NFL but for a lot this is going to be it you hate to think that it gets taken from him but he does get a chance to give back and have a positive impact on this program not just this year but forever as long as he's an eagle at least he gets to be a coach share some of that knowledge he's practically a coach on the field anyway when he was a center but he can be that mentor to Peyton Backer who takes over as the starter hike in the football this is this will turn out to be a good thing for Georgia Southern and hopefully a better thing for Jacob Cooper even though he's not going to be on the field anymore once again three o'clock kickoff for Georgia Southern and Coastal Carolina will be on the air with the Eagle tailgate show in the back of the tailgate lot at one o'clock on eastern time the only time that it should be across the country I don't know. I'm just I'm going to keep pushing for that and maybe eventually one day it'll happen. But 3 o'clock Eastern time, it was announced that next week's New Mexico State game will also be a 3 o'clock kick. So get your routine in order and you can do it for the next two weeks. But again, Georgia Southern Coastal Carolina, 3 o'clock from Allen E. Paulson Stadium. For the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed, this is Colin Lacey saying so long, everybody. You've been listening to Inside Eagle Nation, powered by Learfield the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics.